Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Book Leads Impactful Books for Life and Leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Jermillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books that have impacted my network. Uh, and it's about finding out what books it is that have contributed to their value, that have contributed to their knowledge, just their base foundation of just how they operate, how they get inspired, whatever it may be. So in the series, I have three three categories of books that I speak on with my guests. The first one is a book that they may cover with me that I've never covered, that I've never read. The second one is a book that we've both read and whether it's in the past or doing it, reading it for this series, and then we we go over it and compare notes. And then the third category is books that my network is publishing, writing, putting out there, having anything to do with getting a book out of our network, out into the public so everybody can read a great book. And that's where this this particular interview falls. My guest today is Matt Necci. Matt is the author of The The Road Will Someday Bend. And we'll be lucky enough to have Matt walk us through that book, give us the backstory of the book and how he came to write the book, what inspired him, uh, so on and so forth. But Matt is a litigator by trade and he has a penchant for social media and community building. His daily musings about Yukon Huskies, the New York Mets, Greater Hartford and the Adirondacks can be found on Twitter at UConnetch, N-E-T-C-H. Matt lives in Glastonbury with his wife, Jen, and their daughters, Abby and Riley. Matt and I met through a mutual connection here in the Hartford area. Um, what's crazy about this network is that my network, I think, has grown more since the pandemic started than what it was before. So it's amazing the people that we're meeting. And obviously, with the technology, we can have a great conversation about whatever it may be, whether it's development, whether it's leadership, and this particular case, whether it's a great book. So Matt, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thanks for having me, John. So Matt, I, I read your bio, but why don't you give me a little more of what your profession is today, what your roles are, what you deliver for uh, your workplace, any kind of background on what it is that um, you do in your your work? Sure. So um, I'm a partner at Halloran and Sage. It's a law firm that's been based in Connecticut uh, a little over 85 years now. So I lead one of the litigation groups. I do mostly my day-to-day -day life is dealing with um, litigation that deals with the workplace. So workers' compensation issues, labor and employment, um, discrimination, sexual harassment, and, and representing clients. Um, that's kind of the day-by-day -day job. But I also, as you noted, I have a great passion for community building in Greater Hartford. So a lot of my work, uh, my professional life, that's not my day-to-day -day job, is working with the Hartford Chamber of Commerce, um, with the state of Connecticut, uh, with the city of Hartford, um, with Special Olympics Connecticut. And these organizations that I have passion about, um, you know, what you were saying made a lot of sense to me, quite frankly. With everything happening, it's crazy how much larger our networks have been able to grow because of this technology. And so um, a big part of my life the last year really has been figuring out ways like you to continue to grow our communities and make sure we're getting the most out of all of our resources here um, and the people here, but doing so in a safe way because, you know, I have young kids, right? So we're all living through what the last 18 months have been and how do you best take advantage of that and not lose the momentum that the greater Hartford community has been yeah. building over the last several years. Yeah. So a, maybe a little deeper background on you. How did you get into the legal field? And then what part of it 
what part of you is it that drives you towards, in addition to that, working for the community, building the community, regardless of what kind of community it is, whether it's philanthropy or sports, obviously based on your bio. So what is it from your past that led you down to cover those two sides of life? I mean, it's tied into the book to some extent. Um, I was really, really fortunate. Um, like a lot of people that have, have been successful in professional or personal life, I've been really blessed. I had amazing parents who very early on in my life said, you have this obligation. If you have an opportunity to help someone, you do what you can for who you can and when you can. And frankly, you know, I'm on the board of directors for Special Olympics now. The, the history of that began when my parents had me volunteering at three years old because my dad's company did a lot of work with Special Olympics. Wow. So a lot of the things I'm passionate about, it's a, it's a decade-long tie. From how I got to where I am in the world now, um, you know, I actually, I'm a University of Connecticut grad, thought I was going to go into business, learned very early on that I actually loved writing. Um, I loved, I had a passion for some form of teaching, um, but I wasn't really sure how that was going to be. And so although I went to UConn as a business major, um, I transitioned to being a history major. And then okay. in the middle of that process, really enjoyed writing and thought I was going to be a journalist and I was going to change my major again. And my parents, uh, again, to their credit, sat me down and said, kid, you're getting four years. So well, you can do history and you can do journalism, but yeah. you're not going to be hopping from thing to thing. Like at some point, and frankly, uh, I'm all for people finding their way and pursuing their passions, but I'd be lying if I didn't say like my parents sitting me down and saying, we've, we've given you that freedom. You found the things you like. You got to start coordinating how that's going to come to a career at some point. And so, um, you know, funny enough, I did not become a history teacher or historian, and I did not become a journalist, but the, my, the things I really enjoyed, um, diving into history, telling a story, being a persuasive writer, all kind of lent themselves to being an attorney. Okay. Um, and I graduated from UConn in 2003. Um, the law school industry has kind of been all over the place, but really in that early to mid 2000s, it was thriving. Um, okay. So it was kind <laughs> of a thing that a lot of people that um, had good writing backgrounds, good research backgrounds. Um, and what I liked about being an attorney, it kind of gave you the ability to do anything. There are a lot of yeah. people in the business world that have their JDs. Um, there are obviously attorneys. Um, there are a lot of people in community, community oriented public service oh, yeah. that have their JDs, yeah. right? So a lot of I activism like, and a lot of, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, for me, it was a real uh, two things I wanted. I wanted to have that flexibility. But at that time in my life, I could have gone to law school in Connecticut. And maybe when you know when you see the, the bills you paid for so many years for school loans, maybe I should have stayed home. Um, getting yeah. back to New York City and living in New York at a very, you know, right after 9-11 in my early 20s um, was kind of a um, eye-opening experience and gave me some other life skills outside of Connecticut that, you know, I was born in East Hartford, grew up in East Hartford and Glastonbury. So getting to New York kind of actually helped narrow down the legal fields that I ended up, you know, finally being in when I got back to Connecticut. Just out of curiosity, what, what kind of work did your parents do? Um, so my mom, uh, one of the most smart and generous people, um, high school graduate, um, but worked in the high school that I grew up in as, as an office manager. So, uh, and I'm the youngest of three. So, um, you know, the teachers and the administrators in that high school knew me from the time I was a little kid. So I always had these people watching over me, which yeah. 
had some. You didn't stand the chance. You didn't stand. I the didn't. But in a lot of ways, and thank God there wasn't social media back then. Those oh people took God. care of me quite a bit too. So, yeah. um, and then my father worked for Northeast Utilities for 37 years. Um, started off as an engineer there, worked as chief of operations at the Millstone Power Plant for a long time. Okay. And then actually ended up being the president of Connecticut Light and Power. Gotcha. So I'm not naive. I had advantages, even though my parents were first generation Americans who worked their tails off and made sure their kids knew that they had to work to get everything and they had to treat people certain ways. Um, just through osmosis of being around those types of people who, again, were unconditionally loving people, unconditionally generous people, but super hard workers that expected you to earn yeah. everything you got. It just rubbed off. Uh, I hope it rubbed off. Um, and I mean, but it was it, probably, it was probably just a lot of the example that they set, right? Yeah. It, you know, it was, um, you work for absolutely everything you get, but I also, you know, two things always jumped out that my dad always was, was telling, you know, two phrases, um, praise in public, punish in private. That was always a big thing. Never embarrass people, right? You always want to highlight the things they're doing, but if there's something you have to bring them back down. You don't embarrass them in front of their peers. You kind of do it on the side and you do it in a constructive way. And then the other thing you always said was, I don't care if you are the president of a company, an intern, the janitor, whatever, everybody needs to be treated with the same level of respect. And that's something that I've tried to really, and I think it came from quite frankly, you know, again, my father's father came as the book kind of goes into, he was an immigrant here that came from nothing. And yeah. my parents both grew up with um, good families, but they didn't come from much. So yeah. there was an expectation that even if you were able to achieve certain professional, personal, social accomplishments, you never forgot where you came from. And you certainly remembered how to always treat people. That's amazing. I love that. Um, yeah, I'm just curious always because um, my parents were blue blue collar workers. So I'm just always curious when you meet people, you can never make assumptions about what their backgrounds are. So I'm just always curious, like the person that's in front of me, what they've shared with me, what their drive is, their profession, their philanthropy. I can never help but ask, where did you get that? How did your parents instill it in you? But I'm, I'm sure the example, both explicit lesson and implicit through examples were just all around. So you had just mentioned your grandfather and he plays a big role around your book. Can you introduce the, uh, the book that we're going to cover and just kind of give us a breakdown of the book itself? And then we can kind of go into the background of how it came uh, to be. But can you give us an overview of the book and what people might find in there? Sure. So and here's the here's the cover of the book, just so everyone can see. Yeah, um, the, ro the, the book is The Road Will Someday Bend. Um, it's very loosely based on my grandfather's life. Um, my entire life, I've been fascinated by this whole concept of my grandfather came, uh, was sent to the United States in his mid-teens for a lot of reasons. Among them, the economies in Europe and Italy particularly weren't great. There wasn't a lot. Uh, there was a huge, obviously, immigration rush to the United States. But it was also entering that pre-World War II era where Mussolini was starting to get much more powerful in Italy and young people were being recruited into armies. And his family made a decision that they wanted him and the rest of the family to come to the States. Uh, he did not want to come at all. He loved being there. Um, and then as he settled into the States, um, 
you know, just as he's getting comfortable here, he gets drafted in the U.S. Army and has to go back to Europe um, to fight. Um, and the story, his real life is a little bit different than the book, but he does go back and have to fight against the Axis powers. And that whole idea fascinated me. Um, you know, you see again, and, and I, I'll be as apolitical as possible, but you see what people are willing and not willing to do in the last year um, for hopefully the betterment of their fellow citizen. And you have people that were in World War II lying about their age so that they could fight on behalf of their country. Um, you had immigrants who had been here for months or years that all of a sudden they, they, they didn't know anything to the country, right? I mean, they, they owed the opportunity they were given but all of a sudden you're going to fight war against your former countrymen. And I couldn't imagine my family moving to, let's say, England or Canada. Yeah. And, then and then turning all of around. A sudden, yeah, I got to go fight in this, against the States now. It, it just, <laughs> it, it blows my mind. Yeah. Um, and he was very unassuming. My grandfather would never talk about these things, um, like a lot of people from his generation. Yeah. But when we kind of touched base before this, yeah. it, it's just a different generation. Um, it doesn't matter if they achieved great things or, you know, something on, on the path to greatness, um, noble endeavors, noble achievements. It's just a, such a different generation where it's kind of like anything they did, they did to do that. They had a duty, they got the job done where now this era is just much different than it was then. So, um, Tell us a little more about the book or, or I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, and I don't want to dump on the current generation. No, I think no, not at it's all. It's the easy thing to do for all I know in 1945, if Twitter and TikTok and Instagram were a thing, maybe you'd see guys taking selfies <laughs> over the Rhine. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I'm doubtful. Yeah. Um, um, but each generation deals with its own thing, right? Yeah, so I'm sure people right. from the from the World War One era were dumping on the greatest generation that came behind them, whether it was their music or the way they dressed, whatever. So I'll, I just wanted to get that out there because yeah. I think, um, you know, um, you know, for a long time, the millennial term was thrown out there and, and every generation has its own challenges and gifts that it gives back. So yeah, I think that I, I hope more people do it in the way that they did it. Um, yeah. And with the, um, again, generosity, but also the humbleness with which that generation did it. But yeah, we are what we are. So how do you, how do you even go about starting something like this? What was, what was like in those moments and, you know, whatever period of time where you were mulling over taking on this project, how did it, how did it come to be? I mean, how far back did you start thinking about doing this? And then what was the actual kick in the pants to, to get it done. So I think writing a book for me was something I always wanted to do. Um, and I, I don't know when I exactly made the connection between my grandfather's story and actually writing it. Although I knew again, as I said, this whole premise of, of his story fascinated me my entire life. Um, I do write a lot for work. So whether it's with trial briefs or appellate briefs, a lot of what I do in uh, crunch time is trying to write a persuasive brief that's going to some people that are lawyers love writing and hammering on the law and that's sometimes appropriate i think that writing whether it's a book a trial brief an email a note whatever persuasive writing where it sounds more natural like someone's actually talking yes. as opposed yes. to it being legalese or overly written 
yeah. is, is something that people, I think people, when they're writing something, they think it has to be so official when the reality is I want to be able to, I want to be able to picture you saying it when you're, yes. Writing. So, um, I think that's something that I've always really focused on and my wife's been really supportive. So last year, I think, you know, again, not to tie everything into COVID, but when we were all going through all of this, especially early on, um, you know, March of 2020 is coming around and things shut down. And then it's early April and it's like, well, maybe we're going to be here a while because no one knew what was going on. Um, and as that time was going, I just started to have some conversations with my wife and say, I think I'm having this idea. I started to put some outlines of what I thought it could be, but nothing was really taking hold. But uh, thought, I asked her impression and she said, yeah, I think you should. This is something you said you wanted to do. Why don't you give it a shot? Um, and then, like I said, I did some outlines, but nothing was really sticking the way I wanted. And then May of 2020 came and I was approaching my 39th birthday. And it was also at a time where things obviously, because we're still dealing with it, we're not 100% better, but we were heading into the summer and people felt a little bit better. Things are starting to open up. Um, and my thought was, listen, if this is ever going to happen, it's going to be when I don't have an extra two or three hours in the car every day. I'm not yeah. going to meetings every day. <clears throat> Yeah, um, I have the we're not going to our kids activities every day. So I have some extra time. It's now or never. And quite frankly, I think it'd be a great goal if I could have this accomplished by the time I turn 40 in 2021. So that was how it started. And it started with I, I tossed I, I knew where I wanted this story to start. And I generally where I wanted it to finish. But I wasn't sure what was going to be in between because I, again, I did not like the, the outlines I had put together. So I just wrote a chapter and gave it to my wife, who's a middle school English teacher, but she's a, a really passionate reader. One of these people who's got three or four books going all the time, right? And she's just rotating depending <laughs> yeah. on it, where mood. she's sitting in the house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it was more of, listen, she's read so many different genres and so many different authors. And I, I have my favorites. I, I like going back and forth between fiction and nonfiction, um, but she's kind of all over the place. So is this is this interesting to you? That's what I would say. If this is interesting and you want to know more, I'm going to keep writing. If you don't like it, I'll probably still keep writing. I just won't keep sending it to you. And maybe this will just be for me um, or something that I can leave our kids for, you know, down the road so they could see uh, it. I love that. This crazy part in our lives. This is what I spent my extra time doing. I love that you can say, if it doesn't work out, it's something for me. Yeah. Or it's something for my kids. I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, part of it was, you know, my wife lost her father a couple of years ago. And I remember being at the wake with her and her saying she was meeting um, coworkers that he had worked with for 30 years and some friends that she just didn't have a good relationship with and hearing all these stories about her dad and saying, I wish I had known some of those parts of him. Like I have my own memories, but it would have been nice to know that part of him. And I, I, that really slammed me in the face. Like, I wonder yeah. what my, like, I don't want my kids saying the same thing. Not that she was saying yeah. it in a bad way, but I'm sure like they would have the same questions. So I tried journaling for a while and it was just really hard for me to get into the, whether it was daily, weekly, monthly, just wasn't my thing. So this was another way. And when I came to that realization, it was, you know, at the end of the day, I can leave something for my kids that it's part of me that never existed before. And in 20 years, they can say now it's here. I, um, I completely get that, man. I, with this series, this series right here, like I want it to be successful. I want people to enjoy it. 
Um, but at the very least, it's amazing that my kids in the future will have a collection of my conversations yep. and get a sense of what was important to me, the people that I wanted to profile in my community, the people that I respected. Like, it's just amazing. We're living in, yep. in an amazing time. It it really blew my mind when I was able to show my kid a video that I took of him when he was a baby. You know what yeah. I mean? Because we didn't yep. have that when we were kids. I'm a little older than you, but it's only like three or four years. Yep. But um, it's it's just amazing. I, I love that we can both think about the legacy, not so much reputation only, but something that we can say, your father put this together. Your father yeah. created this. This is what was important to him. I, I completely agree. And I think, and again, this isn't a generational thing because I think every generation does this, but we always, it's because that's just how the brain works. We always think whatever we're going through in life is the first time it's ever happened to anyone, yeah. right? And so yeah. I wanted, if I'm not here someday, you know, the whole idea of starting a journal was write things and get like, like really open up, like whether it was a financial issue or a job issue, let them know that when you were 30 years old or 40 years old, you had this crisis so that when they're yeah. going through it, they realize it's not the first time things work themselves out. I really do believe yeah. that for people that work hard, that have common sense and that treat other people really well, things tend to work out. And so yeah. I tried to tie that frankly into the book a little bit and show that like, listen, even in those generations, tied into that whole idea that there are people that have been through these things. And, and again, there's some war aspects of the book, but there's a lot of like just personal family stuff in there too, that I want people to know that you, we've been there before. You'll, you'll get through what seems to be a complete crisis today. Can you provide some of those themes that we may find overall, like in a few sentences, not giving anything away, but what is, what is the book about? What is, what is the, the arc of the book? Just if you could do it in a few sentences, you don't have to go too deep, but just to get a good idea of what the book covers. Yeah. I think, you know, the phrase that people, that my wife always said this whole coming of age idea, but I think there are definitely themes in, um, feeling like you're the only one who's been there before and you've been abandoned, but finding that um, the people that you think have either abandoned you or given you, put a little too much pressure on for you to have personal responsibility. At the end of the day, you come hopefully to an appreciation that you saw why your parents had you do certain things that they thought were best for you. But at the time when you were a kid, you thought that it was a complete slap in the face. You thought that they were undercutting what you ultimately were trying to go through in life. Um, this was very much a, you know, a combination of an immigration story, which again, given today's climate, I think a lot of us forget that 99.9% .9 of us went through a story similar it's over crazy. tied to that, right? It's if it's not your parents or your grandparents, it's your great grandparents. You didn't, I can speak for the majority of us and me specifically, like my family's from Italy and my family's from Ireland. Although I associate myself purely as an American because I've been to these places, but I, I've, you know, like this is my home, right? Um, and it's the, really more of a, what that process was like for people showing an appreciation for what people that, what they sacrificed in coming to America, what they contributed to our country, which I think is somewhat overlooked um, and then also what you can do back to that theme of what my parents always said that you have an obligation to help who you can, when you can, how you can, and kind of tying that into someone that went from a position of needing a lot of help 
to ultimately being able to give other people that came behind him some help. What, uh, I don't know who, um, like, what did your family think of the book? <laughs> parents um, or grandparents? I don't know if, if your grandparents yeah, are still around. So unfortunately my grandparents are not around. Um, I've gotten a lot of, you know, my dad was like one of these people that when we got the, the email from the publisher confirming that before we were getting hard copies of it, that it had been on Amazon, like he had already bought it all and read it in a, in a day and a half before people were getting their hands on books. But, um, you know, one of the things, and I say like 5% of the book is, is based in reality. The other 95% is fictional, historical fiction that I kind of built into it. I had one of the early questions I had was how close is this going to be to being a memoir that's based on, you know, some things my grandfather had a journal from when he was in the war and some other things, or is this going to be more just historical fiction? And I went with the latter choice and I'm glad I did. I think if I had been a little too close to home, I'm not sure I would have gotten the, the positive feedback because, um, you know, my grandfather means a lot to all of our family and they may not want certain things out there. Right. Not that he did anything yeah. scandalous, but um, I think they, they realized that I was certainly honoring the person and kind of who he was and who he was to our family and what his journey was. But I think they also appreciated the fact that, you know, in my opinion, writing a book, the closest thing I could compare it to for myself was running a marathon. Yeah. And the amount of time and energy that went into it. Um, How long it, it did was, it take you more or less? Uh, I would say five <laughs> months, probably. So my goal was from May. When I started in May, it ended up being around Thanksgiving. I finished writing kind of the first draft. So every week I would try to write a really rough chapter, do an initial edit, get it to my wife, get her thoughts sometimes incorporate them, sometimes just rewrite based on my edit and then have a quote unquote finished chapter each week, even though I went back at the end and edited five times before I gave it yeah, to my editor. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of every week from around my birthday, May 21st to around Thanksgiving, which gave me a good, like, I don't know, six, five or six months. I think I'm not even doing four or five months basically. Yeah. Um, and then by the time I was done with my rough edit was really right after Thanksgiving or my, my final edit was around Thanksgiving publisher and the editors there really worked with me to hack it up pretty good for another month or so. And then within a month it was, it was out there in real life. So, um, it was kind of a process of on weekends, I did a lot of writing when everyone went to bed at night, I did a lot of 9 PM to 1 AM sessions. Wow. Um, <clears throat> it was, uh, but it was, it was like a marathon. It was, I, I very much looked at it as if you took a break, I didn't want to come up with like, I didn't want to slow momentum down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the only times that did not occur was there were definitely two, maybe four or five nights that I found myself writing something that just sucked. It sucked. And instead of forcing it, I said, you know what, I'm going to bed, I'm putting it away, walking away for a day. And on every single one of those occasions, when I came back and started writing, it was so much better what I had come back with than what I had started with. So I knew when I got to my limit, if I needed to walk away, I could do it. Um, yeah. Thankfully, that was only a handful of times, though. Um, so as you're writing it, how do you balance his life? What was your target? 
Meaning yeah. like balancing portions of his life, having some creative freedom, and then uh wrapping it up in some kind of lesson. Some how do you how do you even go about that when it's something so personal as your grandfather? So um this is gonna sound corny as hell, but to some extent That's what I'm was, here for, man. <laughs> it, it, it was not it was not up to me. Um yeah. so I knew where I wanted to start. Um, and again, I knew the general idea where I wanted to finish. And there's an epilogue where I, we're at a family cousin, we called it a cousin's party, which is real stuff that happens in my life. There's like six groups of, of one family that's six branches of that family. We get together every summer. There's like 70 of us. It's awesome. That's awesome. And I wanted that to be in an epilogue set, like it was probably 40 or 50 years after the story ended. Yeah. Just what, so you can tell, was, you can show where the story. Yeah. Where it goes, so, where it ends. It, and tied that in. But what I would say is, you know, when I was talking earlier about giving a chapter to my wife and getting her feedback after like two chapters of where I knew where I wanted to start, I was interested in what was happening next. Like the characters, when people's authors say character came to life, these characters were coming to life. And I was, you know, there was days I was ex excited to finish dinner so that I could go and write because yeah. I wanted to see what was going to happen. It's almost um, like you're documenting what the characters do and you're not writing ahead of them. Yes. And so it was That's almost cool. like just telling the stories as they were living in my head. And then there would come a point if it was a slow part or if I saw I was going so far down one road and I knew I needed to come to another place, I would try to go back and, and bring in a component of my grandfather's real life or some shadow of it so that I had something to tie back um, to where I needed to end up at the end of the day. But, um, you know, there were some things that were probably again, based on things he did, you know, there's, there's some, uh, without giving any away, there's a rescue scene in the book. Um, because he was an Italian immigrant and he never told me this. I found this out from relatives after he passed away that had been in the service as well, or they saw his war diary, you know, because he was a new Italian immigrant and obviously spoke Italian. Like when there were transitions of POWs, he would be going behind enemy lines with a couple people and bringing American soldiers back from behind German wow. or Italian lines. So um, there may be some exaggerations on that within the book, but it was obviously, yeah. you know, based on things that, and again, he wasn't the one that came out to told me, tell me. I was going to say, I didn't, I, I was going to say, so that, that wasn't in his, his, you know, his personal effects at all. That was somebody that you happened to kind of bump into mm -hmm. that relayed that information. Wow. Yeah. Um, and he was, um, I, I included in the book and my father described my grandfather in this way uh, during the eulogy for him. But, you know, my dad called him a gentleman and a gentleman. And that was him to a T. He was just the nicest, sweetest guy in the world. Um, wanted to, he was great to have in a conversation and had a great laugh. Um, but he wanted to know what was going in your life all the time. He, you know, it wasn't a big deal for him. And then you'd go and you'd find, you know, these framed, um, my grandmother had some medals he got framed. Like it was, it was just so unassuming for him. Um, you wouldn't realize all the things he had been through in life. So, um, and as you can see with me rambling on at certain points of this, I'm more of a talker. I wish I had a little <laughs> bit more of his listening and his patience. Um, but he was a remarkable guy. So, and this, I mean, this will be the last question about um, like the book itself and the process. So did you start off going through what he did leave behind 
or did you come up with, did you have an idea of what he had done? And then you kind of came up with a story to, to follow along that his route and then went to his effects to get more specifics. Like, what does that even look like? Yeah. So I stayed away from his actual uh, effects with, a, you know, a few exceptions of asking yeah. my father some questions looking, you know, my dad has a few um, like military badges and medals asking questions about that. Um, I focused more on the idea of the story and how I can make it a good story. Um, as I went along, there were some relatives that I would call up and just ask questions about, um, I did so much, and this goes back to, um, you know, sometimes I speak to UConn history students and they want to know, well, what am I going to do with a history degree? I went back, the amount of historical research I did for the book, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, someone was asking me the other day, well, how do you, I, I, how do you know that battle really happened? And they didn't think it had happened. And I went back and showed them like the page of bibliography notes where I had gone back and <clears> taken <throat> notes off of certain things. Or I went and found, you know, during a baseball game or the, the World's Fairs discussed, I went back and found what the weather was like on that particular day or what the box score was on the particular game. And was really, I wanted it to be authentic in that yeah. way. So, um, because I love when I'm reading like little things like that, that you can go back and check and that even though you're reading a fiction, it's tied into a real thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I always love that, like with Back to the Future, like there were certain like historical facts that they would include in that makes the whole fictional story more interesting. So yeah. That was really important to me when I was in the, in the process. Who was it? I was listening this to somewhere. It was uh, John Meacham was talking and he gave, it was something subtle, but it's along the lines of what you said, where when he tries to convey the information from history, like he tries to throw in there, even just the day of the week, you know what I mean? Not just yep. the day, but he said something like, you know, this, this big historic event was on Friday, whatever the date was. So that gives you an idea of, okay, this president is going into the weekend with this major yep. development. So just the inclusion of the day kind of gives you some kind of reference point. So it's not the weather, but I, I thought that was interesting because I'd never thought about that before. It is. And I know um, his, uh, Meacham's um, biography on George H.W. Bush, and I think he said a lot of that was based on the president had left like audio tapes. He, he did a, an audio diary every single day, which fascinated me too. Um, yeah. But it does, it brings some context and makes it real. I love the whole idea, even in fictional stories, when you can, t like my favorite movies that I watch now, if there's some premise of how they incorporate it, when I watch Stranger Things, like when they bring in certain aspects of at this time in life and you see these kids dressed up in their um, Ghostbusters costumes for <laughs> Halloween, like, like there's some realism Amen. that you bring in. It just it just makes the whole thing more interesting. I think you can feel there's there's being overly descriptive and then there's being subtly descriptive that then kind of transforms the person into, oh, I know I can get a feeling of where this person was at that yes. particular time. Yes. So how much uh how much of your time in the whole process was research? Was that kind of research? <clears throat> It was two stages. So very early on, before I started writing, there was a significant amount of research done. Um, I love one of my focuses in college. I loved World War II era America. So, you know, I have books here that I was going back through that I hadn't opened in 20 years. And a lot of research was done after I was done writing. Um, okay. I'm a little bit, 
because I know, although I love writing and I was very passionate and proud of what happened, what came out of it, I also know when you put something out there, like it's not yours anymore. It's mine to me and the process, but people are going to have their own interpretations of the story, just like I do when I read someone else's stuff or I look at someone else's painting. I didn't want to give anyone a cheap out to criticize it. So I was open to constructive criticism. I think that's great. I want to know how I can become a better writer, but I didn't want it to be over something lazy. Like I, I yeah. screwed something up and how could this have happened when it's very clear if you had done a basic Google search, you knew yeah. that branch of the army was in Japan, not Europe. Like so, if you did everything you could and somebody was still criticizing, it's okay. okay I tried to cover every base, yeah. but I didn't half-ass it. For sure. I wanted this to be like, I threw everything into it because when, again, when you have kids, times goes by even faster. Oh yeah. But when you talk about four or five months of just the writing to have gone through all of that and then to have half-assed it and not have it come out the way I wanted would not, it's almost like when you, you know, you, you see this in the workplace, doing something the wrong way is very often worse than never having tried it at all. So yeah. And that's not always true because I think there's good things that come out of mistakes, but there's a difference. If it's being lazy and you're not going to be accountable for seeing through what you wanted to do, laziness is not my style. So it was important that the research component of it, I'm sure there's stuff that someone that isn't John Meacham could find was not 110% historically accurate. Um, yeah. And that's when I say, well, it's a historical fiction book, but to the extent <laughs> yeah. that I could, um, you know, looking at military archives, going into the archives for the World War II Museum in New Orleans, which I had visited previously, but then they had a lot of great resources available online. I, I tried to do the best I could to make it as authentic as possible. And the awesome. research was what was required for that. So what I'm curious with this whole process, your personal connection to it being your first book, writing writing it during a pandemic, they're all like their own separate um, pieces of context. Mm -hmm. But what writing this book, how has it changed you? What it, you know, I'm not, I'm interested what people will take away from the book, but at the same time as the writer, is this your first book? This is my first book. Yes. Okay. What did you take away? How do you, how do you think you've changed since writing it, since putting every, you know, all the work in there? It obviously being a, a family affair, how have you, how have you changed since this came out or since you finalized it? Honestly, and, and I'm a big, I think like yourself, personal growth, uh, leadership skills, constantly giving people the resources to let them continue to grow as a person. The thing I took out of this the most is somewhat antithetical to that. Um, it reminded me that I had this muscle of setting a huge monumental goal and that I could still achieve it. Um, I came up being incredibly goal oriented. You know, it was go to college, go to law school, run a marathon, have a family, um, become a partner at a law firm. Um, and then as you become an adult, and again, this isn't a bad thing, but there's certain things, whether it's work or your family that take priorities over certain things you want to do. That's just life. Um, and sometimes you get into a rhythm that you forget that um, you know, you question whether you still have that ability. This was such a huge thing for me. It was so cathartic, the whole process. But to remind myself that if I set my goal for something and I'm willing to put in the work, 
and it doesn't mean it's just going to happen automatically, but I'm willing to put in the work. I knew I still had that muscle. And so again, at 40 years old, um, I'm not stopping working anytime soon. So reminding yeah. myself and kicking myself in the rear saying, Hey buddy, <clears throat> you got a couple more decades here. This is stuff that, you know, there's things, if you want to accomplish, you can still do those things. It's going to take work, but you can still do it. Um, having that again, kicking the backside and, and, uh, a memory that and a remembrance that always had that ability and there's no reason why I shouldn't continue to have that type of goal um, reaching was something that was invaluable to me that the book absolutely came through for. I'm always looking at silver linings from the pandemic, like good yeah. things that came out of this. If the pandemic hadn't happened, where do you think you'd be? You think the book would have eventually been written at some later time or... I think it, it obviously would have been different um, because I do think at some point I would have written, but it would have been different because it would have been from a different stage of my life. Um, How I so though? What, well, I think what's good about this book is that I'm a parent, so I'm old enough to know some of the things that went into the parental um, View. parts of yeah. this book, Yep. but I'm also young enough to remember how close it was to being in my late teens, early 20s. Um, you know, I remember moving to Brooklyn for my first year of law school and not knowing anybody and my parents and my now wife and then girlfriend, like getting in a car and taking off and then just sitting there and not knowing what was going to happen with the next three years of my life and just walking the streets of New York, trying to figure out what the hell I was wow. doing. Yeah. I, I still remember, I still had vivid memories of that. So not to say that you don't remember things if I wrote this when I was 65, but at that point, you're at a whole completely different part of your life that I'm not sure I could have written this 10 years ago, the way I wrote it. And I certainly don't think yeah. in 10 years, it would have come out the same way. Yeah. 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 You seem to hit that sweet spot. I think, and again, people went through so much. Um, for me, I wanted to make sure that I, first of all, it was, it was huge loss for a lot of people what I tried to value when you talk about silver linings was I did want to do something that was going to come out of this, which the book was, but I also wanted to appreciate the fact that I was never going to spend this much time with my wife and children until I was retired, quite frankly. So, yeah. um, and that family connection part of it and, and, you know, making sure we were all on the same page played a role to some of the themes of the book as well. So I'm glad, you know, kind of like your podcast, making something, using the opportunity to, try to create a positive out of for what a lot of people has been is a huge negative. Yeah. Um, I'm happy I was able to do that. And if it kicks off to being able to write other books in the future, I'd be thrilled with that. And I think that's likely to happen. Yeah. That was going to be a question coming up, but before that, um, so generally, even if somebody isn't into history, even if somebody, this isn't a book that they would typically pick up, what kind of lessons would you say are in here for them? If you could, if you could kind of describe the kind of lessons that somebody, maybe this book wouldn't be their cup of tea. How would you describe it? What can they take away that they can apply to whatever field of their life you believe they could do so? Yeah. I, I think what's good about this book is a few things. Obviously, like I said, there's an immigration story of that and a, um, Knowing what that huge monumental thing is for someone that's a teenager having to go through that process, I think there is a certain genre uh, or a certain type of reader that loves that story. 
And similarly with the war components of it, there are people that love World War II. Um, what I think is the, the larger theme is I think people do love these underdog, hardworking, coming of age stories. And again, I'm a huge Twitter person, right? And I love social media. There's a lot of negativity that comes out in that writing. Yeah. One of the larger compliments I got about the book was, although you're dealing with some high level issues like war and immigration and family uh, drama, um, the overall theme of it was a bit more positive where you felt uplifted at the end. Um, okay. And again, not everything great comes to all the people that are in the book. Um, it's not all peaches and cream. There's some of that in there, but it's not for, you know, there's some people that at the end are worse off that, than they were at the beginning of the book. So um, again, I think the overall themes of um, people, how we're treating everyone and how we treat each other is a big part of what happens in this book. And um, knowing that not you know growing but not changing who you are inside and how you treat people is a huge part of the book and frankly it is part of the quote-unquote hero's journey as the main character romeo starts again at a immigrant farm boy into where he ends up being uh, somewhat of a war hero that comes back to the states a, a changed person for sure um, yeah. but still uh, having the same values for people that he had um, even when he was back with his parents in italy so on the horizon, what are you thinking for uh, other books? You have ideas on which way you want to go? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have ideas. Um, you know, the three years of my life in law school were pretty amazing. And the people I was around were pretty amazing people. Although I, I'd have to really editorialize that one because there's <laughs> stuff that I don't think people would want me writing about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think... There's two two ways I've looked at it. One was trying, you know, I could do the historical fiction thing again on the other side of my family. Um, you know, the the main character, his father's name is my mother's father's name. So I tried to take some part of my mom's family into this as well. But if I ever wrote about her family, her mom was born in the States, but moved back to Ireland when she was like two years old and grew up in Ireland and then came back over to United States in Brooklyn, met my grandfather, who was the son of an Italian immigrant and fell in gotcha. love. It's a little too on point to the movie and the book Brooklyn, um, which is an awesome story. Yeah. Um, but I think if I wrote something, it'd be a little too many similarities there. I think I like, you know, I love uh, people, but I love funny things too. So if I could try to be a little bit more into a more modern day storytelling not a comedy, because uh, I think it's hard to write a comedy, but a book that's a good story that has some really funny parts. I think, again, there's aspects of, <clears throat> you know, my early 20s um, when I was in law school in a time that was really crazy in New York City because it was right after 9-11. Um, I had been someone who had grown up in Connecticut. So although I'd go and see all the places my family was from, there were some real eye-opening things that were happening when I transitioned there. So I think that may be something that I do. Or I love, you know, um, you know, people love Stephen King's novels. I love Steve, Stephen King's novelettes, the shorter stories. Yeah. I think I may, again, it may be for myself for a while. See if I can put some short stories together. And nice. then if something comes out of that, that might from be. From history to horror. Good. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You, well, you know, some it's true, but some of his like best stuff, um, like, uh, you know, the book that uh, the movie Stand By Me is based on, I think it's called The Body, yep. um, The Shawshank. These are all like just really unbelievably well-written, interesting stories. Um, 
and he's like, you know, he's a horror writer, but he is an unbelievable writer, right? You don't, you don't sell the number of books he does just by uh, writing some gruesome things. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe my wife does love horror stuff and makes me watch those ridiculous movies. So maybe there's a component, <laughs> again, to, to uh, keep her interested that I would do something like that. That's awesome. So, yeah, as we wrap up, um, I know you're involved with a lot of organizations. If there's anything that you want to share here about those organizations, um, please do like whether it's websites or annual events that are coming up, anything that you want to share just based on the different, um, areas in which you're involved. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say this, so I'm obviously really passionate about greater Hartford. Um, I'm on the, um, city of Hartford's chamber of commerce, um, special Olympics, uh, Connecticut board. So I would say if you'd like to check out more of those organizations, whether it's special Olympics or greater Hartford development, um, Hartford 400, some of the things that I quote plan is doing there's some really impressive stuff happening in greater hartford if people just want to connect with me i'd love to just connect have you know talk to people about things because i love all things connecticut what i would my overall message would be i'm into those things because they're what i'm passionate about Nonprofits across the country but particularly in connecticut got absolutely hammered over the last year so my you know my my shout out would be whatever you're passionate in there's probably a nonprofit that focuses on that and do whatever you can to support those organizations. That, that would definitely be my message. Awesome. Matt, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Again, another conversation with somebody I haven't met, but hopefully when things get back to normal, we can meet up for a beer and talk about your next book. Um, so no pressure to have that written by then. Yeah, I'll have the whole thing done by then. But no, <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity. Love what you're doing and looking forward to uh, continue to follow. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much. So thank you everybody for watching. Thank you everybody for listening. Subscribe where you're watching, subscribe where you're listening. Uh, and if you think I missed anything based on the conversation with Matt, uh, what he's told us about his book, let me know. Uh, if you shoot me some questions, I'll follow up with him. I want to make sure that uh, I was able to pick his brain, you know, for as much time as I had him. But uh, again, just reach out and I can relay or forward any questions to him. In the meantime, until the next episode, take care and thank you for watching. Bye.